0: Welcome to this week's podcast, at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. And welcome to Bergen Park Church. It's good to have you guys here this morning. I'm just going to do some housekeeping. How are we? You did an amazing job just to get here. You know, I got here around 6 in the morning and I thought, I don't know if anyone's going to show up but the people getting baptized. And and it's good to see you. It's good to have you guys here. Hey, if you want to grab a Bible, we are going to be in Luke chapter 2. This is the second Sunday of Advent. And and before I get into that, let me mention uh, Thursday night. Who was here Thursday night? Okay, was Thursday night a great celebration, a great way to kick off the Christmas season. Yeah, it was fantastic. Thank you, Beth. We had our women's team put together a fantastic uh, night, a a fantastic speaker. And I love that I had to do nothing but just serve. And it was such a privilege to be there and to see the community and the connections that are happening. That's the body of Christ. That's what the church is about and the the relationships that happen. So I want to celebrate Uh, what took place. Also, if you want to, uh, there's an app called the Uversion app, if you guys want to pull that up. In the Uversion app, there's an events section, and you can find the notes to the message. And often what I'll do in the notes is also put in some resources, because as we're getting into the Advent season, I don't know if you've picked up an Advent devotional, but if you guys will go to the next slide, one of the apps that I use on a regular basis is called Lectio365. And if you don't have a regular pattern of devotion, Lectio 60, 365 has a morning devotion, and then it has uh, an evening examine, that as you go to bed, just kind of setting your heart and thinking about how God showed up during the day. And so I'd encourage you guys, if you want to pick that up, fantastic app to kind of take you through this Advent season, because that's, that's where we are. This is the second Sunday in Advent. And if you are new to Advent, that's okay, because it's kind of... It may be a new word to some of you. But what Advent is, it's, it's the beginning of the church calendar. And what the church calendar is about, and it may seem kind of unique or different, but what the church calendar is about is, through the year, what we do is we follow the life of Jesus. And so Advent is the beginning. And in Advent, we celebrate the coming, the first coming of Jesus. And we also await an anticipation the second coming of Jesus. And that's four Sundays, and it leads us up to Christmas Day. Now, Christmas isn't one day. It's 12 days. You know the song, 12 Days of Christmas. And that comes from the church calendar. It starts on December 25th. It goes all the way to January 6th. Now, don't tell your kids. They'll probably expect a present every single day. Uh, And then after the Christmas season, it's Epiphany. An epiphany, if you think about it, Jesus is born, then what happens? He's living his life, and we're going through the Gospels. And during the season of epiphany, we recognize that Jesus is king, and he's the Son of God, and we notice certain events about his life. And then that takes us into the period of Lent. And Lent is this moment in the Gospels where Jesus is teaching to the crowds, and he's performing miracles, and then all of a sudden there's a shift, and he starts heading towards Jerusalem. And that's the 40 days of Lent where we start marching towards the cross and we start reflecting and we really get into the nature of sin and our brokenness and why Jesus had to die. And that takes us to Good Friday. And on Good Friday, we recognize Jesus' death. And then Easter Sunday begins. And again, just like Christmas is 12 days, Easter actually goes on for seven weeks Now, Lent is only six weeks because our time of fasting is shorter than our time of celebration. And Easter takes us into ordinary time, or Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came. So if you think of the life of the church, Jesus born, he lived, he died, then the Holy Spirit came, and then there's ordinary time. That's our time. And that's the church calendar. But it all begins with Advent. And today we're in the second Sunday of Advent, and the theme of that second Sunday is the theme of hope. And part of the question we wrestle with during Advent is what does it mean to live between the comings of Jesus? Because Jesus first coming and then his second coming and we're kind of in between, right? And what does it look like to live with hope and anticipation and peace in between those, those two times? And last week we began with that theme of, of hope. What does it mean to have hope? And there is a secular version of hope And then there's a gospel version of hope. And I think it's important to make a distinction. Now the secular version of hope is one that we know really well. It's a story that plays in our culture and it's the story of progress. The secular version of hope is that with enough technology, with enough of you really smart people, we're gonna solve it, right? We're gonna figure it out. With enough money and ingenuity, it's going to get better, right? because it's getting so much better. Every generation gets better and better and better, and we don't repeat the mistakes of the past, or right? And we don't think the way to solve problems is to yell at people and to get a whole bunch of people that hate a whole bunch of people, and that's how we're gonna bring peace on earth and goodwill towards men, right? Because as human beings, we figure this stuff out. And that's the theme of progress. And you may have said this. I can't believe in 2023 we're still dealing with. That's the myth of human progress. But the gospel says we forget. Why? Because we're human. We forget the lessons of the past. We forget what happened 50 years ago. And so what begins to happen is we repeat the same things. And, you know, when we read the New Testament, I used to read these stories and how people divided around Silly things like food sacrificed to idol. how, idols, how stupid is that? And then we went through COVID. And I'm sorry, we divided over some really stupid stuff. Can we be honest about that? When Jesus is our anchor, and yet that's just the nature of, of who we are, isn't it? That we think we raise things up as more important And race becomes more important. or political parties or a certain way of engaging in our culture becomes the center. And we don't ask the question, what does it look like to represent Jesus? But we fall into our own tribes, our own culture, our own way of doing things instead of walking in the way of Jesus. And so how do we live in this in-between time, between the time that Jesus has come and yet there's still wars and there's still strife and difficulty? How do we follow Jesus? Well, that's where we're going to go today. As we look at this theme of peace. And actually it was introduced this morning with the first uh, second candle that was read uh, not the second candle was read. can't read a candle. <laughs> if you didn't know that. But peace is not about, you, know, that peaceful, easy feeling. It's not about just an inner tranquillity. What peace is in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it means well-being. What it really is it means to be complete. To be made whole. And and because of where our hope is, wherever our hope is anchored, our peace grows out of our hope. And so if your peace is shaky, I mean, if you're, I'm sorry, if your hope is, you guys are following me. If our hope is shaky, then our peace is shaky. And that's why hope, uh, peace flows out of hope. But if our hope is solid, if our hope is secure, then we have a well-being, not because life is right, because we're about to get into a story where life was not right. It wasn't good. He didn't have peace, this guy Simeon, because everything was lining up. You know, he was living his best life and living to the max, and everything was working out for him. But instead, he saw Jesus. He saw God's fulfillment to his promise. And it brought an inner peace and inner wholeness that enabled him to deal with the difficulties and the disunity and the strife and all that we see in human progress. So let's jump into it. We're going to get into uh, Luke chapter 2. If you want to grab a Bible, pick it up in verse 22. And let me just introduce what we're about to read. So as we read it, you'll start to see these themes. You know, what Luke does so beautifully in his gospel is he introduces us to faithful people of God. Because in the first century, there weren't a lot. It was an absolute mess. Jesus comes into a very dark time. But Luke says, hey, look at Mary, 14 years old, 15 years old, faithful to God. Look at Elizabeth. Do you notice many of them are women? Look at Anna. Look at Joseph. Look at Simeon. And Simeon is this really old guy. I don't know how old. Back then, I guess 40 was old. So it could have been my age. And he's waiting And and on a routine basis, he would go to the temple and he would pray. And he was waiting for God to fulfill his promises. And it was a very dark time where a lot of people probably said to Simeon, Simeon, give up on that Jesus stuff. He didn't know his name was Jesus. I'm just putting that in there. Give up on that Messiah stuff. It's not working. You know, we're in this time of great oppression. Israel's not flourishing. Obviously, God has failed to meet his promises. But Simeon held out hope in God's promises, and he continued to show up. And then one day, 40 days after Jesus' birth, he sees, he sees Jesus at the temple. And so let's jump into it in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 22. Here we go. And when the time for purification according to the law of Moses came, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. And now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, they took him, he took him in his arms, and he blessed him, meaning Jesus, and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people. Israel. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray for you. Would you pray for me? Father, it is such a joy that you're just simply with us, to be in your presence, to know that we don't have to summon you. We don't have to just ask you to be here, Father. Where your children are, you are present, and you love to pour out your spirit upon us. And so in Jesus' name, would we hear your voice? Would we rest in your goodness? And Father, would you show us the beauty of And the glory and the light that is found in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. So look down at verse 25 and notice Simeon is in this period of waiting, which represents the nation of Israel. You see, the story of Jesus is born out of its birth out of the Old Testament. And there was this long period where it seemed like God, honestly, we're gonna review this in a moment, had just abandoned his people. He wasn't fulfilling his promises. And here's a guy, Simeon, who it would have been easy to give up. And maybe you felt that way. Why go to church today? Right? Why read my Bible? Why pray? It's not working. God's not here. He's not powerful enough. I think all of us can wrestle with that. And here he is waiting, and he's coming to the temple, and everything says, hey, hey, just give up. And he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That doesn't sound like a good prize, Because you don't want the consolation prize. And that's not what this word means, but it kind of brings up that idea. Consolation prize is you didn't get first, you didn't get second, you didn't get third, but I guess you showed up, so here you go. But consolation doesn't mean a consolation prize. It means this idea of the comfort of Israel, that God was gonna take care of his people. And that's what he's waiting for. God, would you show up? Would you show me that you love me? Would you show me that you care for me? Would you show me that you're real? Because I'm looking around and I'm not seeing it. God, God. Where are you? And notice in verse 26, he's waiting for something specific. He says, I'm waiting for the Lord's Christ. Now, those are two really fat words, I can say. And Lord actually refers to the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh. It's a covenant name. Sometimes in your Bible, it may be actually capitalized. You see that sometimes. And it's a reference to the God, the covenantal God of the Old Testament, the creator God, the one that established a covenant with Moses and Abraham and David, the one that was going to send the Messiah. And then Christ is not Jesus' last name. It wasn't Mary or Joseph Christ. Christ means Messiah, the promised one. The promised one who would come and see when the Messiah, the king would come, this divine figure in the Old Testament. What would happen is he's going to make stuff right. Remember that word peace, which means to be made whole. All of the kings of the Old Testament, that's what they were supposed to do. All the prophets, they were supposed to serve. That's what Israel was supposed to do. I don't know if you realize this. Their role was to make things whole. How did they do? How do we do? They made things divided. They didn't bring peace. The kings didn't bring peace. And so God said, listen, I'm going to send one who's going to make everything whole. And that was the Messiah. And this Messiah, what he would do is he would judge Israel's enemies He would establish peace in the land and he would glorify Israel and raise them up. Now, the challenge is, as you start going through the Old Testament, we realize the people that need to be rescued, Israel also need to be judged because they're just as wicked as everybody else. Right. And what did they do every time they were in a tough spot? They started running to the powerful nations around them. God, save us. Save us through all of these powerful leaders that are around us. And that's what we kind of do today. We try to find our favorite leader, right? Would you raise up another Messiah that can kind of rescue us? And that's what, it's an old story, guys. Because we think if we get the right leader, right, then we're going to bring peace. And we keep going through the same cycle. And that's where it was. But the people who needed to be judged also needed to be rescued because God loves the world. And so at the end of the Old Testament, we're in this strange place where Israel's just a mess, and the world is a mess, and how is God, how's God gonna fulfill his promises? And then notice what happens. Here shows up Simeon in this very dark place, and it says he came, verse 27, in the spirit. And this is gonna be an important word. And when the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, right? They're bringing Jesus, this is 40 days after his birth, to do for him, do for Jesus, according to the custom of the law, so they're following the law of the Old Testament, and they took him, he took him, Simeon meaning. In his arms, And here's what he pronounces over Jesus as he's looking at him. He says, God, covenant God to Yahweh, you're letting your servant depart in wholeness, in completeness. Now, why? Four, my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, what is he looking at? He's looking into the face of Jesus. But in Jesus, he sees deliverance. He sees rescue. He sees love. He sees hope peace. Verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all people. And here's who Jesus is. He's a light to the Gentiles and he's the glory of Israel. So one word in there in verse 31 is really important. It's the word prepared. You see that? As he's looking at Jesus, he says, oh my gosh, I get it. I didn't understand why we were waiting. I didn't understand why there was so much suffering and it's still hard to comprehend but as he looks at jesus he starts to see that god wasn't absent because one of the first ideas of advent is that in those moments of darkness where it seems like everything has shut down and god is gone and nothing's working he's preparing god is still at work you may know in galatians 4 there's this interesting verse that says when the time had fully come god sent his son born of a woman Born under law, that God wasn't absent. Now, when I, sometimes when I'm suffering, it looks like that. But what Simeon sees when he sees Jesus goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. You are preparing, you're at work. Now, rewind. Many of you may not know the whole story of Israel, so I want to kind of go back and just see the weight of waiting. What we're talking about waiting, we're talking about like a thousand years, so not long. And when we go back a thousand years from Jesus, it's a guy named Saul. This king, not not a great king, and then came David, right? Pretty good king. Now, he had some issues, pretty big issues, actually. He's quite a professed sinner if you think of the life of David. But he brought peace to Israel. There was a period. And then Solomon shows up, right? And that's his son. And he does a pretty decent job, pretty wise guy. But then at the end of Solomon's life, it all falls apart. It's like, yes, everything's coming together. Have you ever had that moment? I finally got the job, got the wife, got the kids, got the whatever. It's gonna work. And then it starts to go south. And what happens to this nation that's had all this decades of peace? Well, division. The 12 tribes, they start, right, fighting. Ever had that in Thanksgiving, maybe? That was it. And 10 tribes went north. I'm getting a with And these two tribes went south and the northern tribes, 10 were called Israel. It's kind of confusing because all of them are Israel and yet they're Israel. And then in the south was these guys named Judah, which is two tribes. And so now they're separated, and then what begins to happen is all of these nations just start kicking the tar out of them, essentially. First comes the Assyrians, this big, powerful nation, a nation that they were actually kind of trusting. Hey, let's get a pact with the Assyrians, and then when you do, they come in and they kick your butt. That's what happens. And the Assyrians come in, and they wipe out the northern tribes, and they kind of send everybody off, and everybody's scattered, and the northern tribes, those 10 tribes up north, right, they're gone. They're kind of dispersed. And then what happens is a bigger kid moves in on a block called the Babylonians, and they beat up the Assyrians, as it always happens, right? And what did the Babylonians do? Well, let's take out Judah. And so they come down. So we have the 10 tribes are gone. Then the two southern tribes, what happens? They, they're rescued off into, not rescued, they're taken off into exile. Now they're in slavery, and they're wondering, God, you're supposed to, you're supposed to bring in this time of peace and, and light. What's happening? And then what happens? A bigger kid shows up on the block. So we have the Assyrians, we got the Babylonians, now let's get the Persians, and the Persians come in, and they kick the Babylonians' butt. And so they're in exile. And this is the story of the nation of Israel. And then what happens is eventually this Persian king, for whatever reason, says, you know what? Let's send these kids home. It's been long enough. They've been beat up enough, and he, they send them home. And that's where you get these guys, Zerubbabel, do you know that guy? And then Ezra and Nehemiah. And what do they do? The people of Israel, they start going back home. And what do they find? It's a mess, Right. <laughs> Walls are down, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, it's just absolutely destroyed. And so through Ezra, Zerubbabel, Nehemiah, they start rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the temple. And there's this interesting part in Ezra where the temple's rebuilt. And, and some people are partying, but you know, half the people are crying because it's not like what they once remembered. That they're back home, but home isn't home. Have you ever had that? You went back home, it's like, what happened? What happened? I thought this would solve it. I thought I would get back and I'd be in my old place, and, but it's, wow, there's something still not right. And what was not right was the fullness of God's presence hadn't come back. There was, there was a sadness in it. Though we're home, we're not home, and so something has to change. And it kind of led in that time to a period of peace, but then somebody else, another bully shows up. This guy actually has a name, Antiochus Epiphanes, and he beats up the Israelites again. And he creates this really bad thing. It's a bad word. It's called the abomination of desolation. It sounds like a pretty terrible word. What he does is he destroys the temple again, in a sense. He goes into the temple, and he starts offering these sacrifices to foreign gods. And the Israelites are once again going, wait a minute. Okay, we get our butts kicked three times by three bullies. You make things right. And now our, we've got a Greek king that comes in. And, and what, what's happening? And then there's another revolt. It's called the Maccabean Revolt, which is the beginning of, do you know what holiday just started yesterday? Hanukkah, yeah. Hanukkah is this period. The Maccabeans, they revolt, and they push back this, this king, and what happens is some oil lasts for eight days. And so that's a holiday, right? And should it last for one day, and it lasts for eight days? And so the Maccabean Revolt, and there's this time of peace, and then again, what happens? There's, after that, there's this 400 years In that time period of silence, where there's no prophet, no word for the Lord, no hope. This is the story that Simeon's living in. And during this 400 years, which Simeon's ancestors understood of all this difficulty, the Romans show up, another big bully. And they bring in a measure, the Pax Romana, a measure of peace. But what happens? They're oppressed. And so Simeon, every day, he's continuing to be faithful. Have you met somebody like that? it's like wow despite the odds he's still trusting in the character of God in the character of God to bring about what to bring about light and glory because that's what he was hoping for that through the messiah God would bring light into the world that's what we want to see in darkness we want to see peace and we want to see we want to see glory and so notice what happens again in verse 30 and 31, For my eyes, God, that it's seen your deliverance. I see in Jesus, you're gonna set all of that, those thousand years of history, you're gonna set it right. And, and remember, Jesus is just an infant, 40 days old. And he says, in this child, you've prepared a salvation, verse 32. And here's the key words, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles. And who is Jesus? He's the glory of your people, Israel. If you're looking for a great Advent devotional, it's Isaiah chapter forty. Through 66. If you don't camp out in the Old Testament, this is a good couple of weeks to do it. Because what is the theme of Isaiah 40 through 66? These two words. The words in verse 31, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to the people of Israel. Because see, what Isaiah was saying is, is, through all of this waiting and all of this hardship, just guys, trust God is still at work. And people are saying, no, I'm done. I'm going to go trust the Assyrians, the Babylonians. And some people like Simeon said, no, I'm going to wait. I'm going to hold out hope. And I'm going to trust that light and glory is going to come. Because one of the questions was, you know, after all of this struggle, has God punted us? Has he forgotten about us? And in Isaiah 60, verse 1, here's what Isaiah says. He's prophesying about the future. And he says, arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Isaiah is talking of a time when light would come into the darkness. And that's how the gospels begin, right? Do you see that pregnant word, those words that are connected to this story? That John says that light came into the darkness. And who is that light? That light is Jesus. Because who is Jesus? He is light to all the nations. That God loves every tribe Tongue, nation, I'm sorry, political party. He loves everybody. God so loved the world. He is a light to draw people to God. But who is he also? He's the fulfillment of Israel. He's the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. He's the fulfillment of all that Israel is. And when you read the Gospels, you know what you're really reading? You're reading a summary of Israel's story in the Old Testament Because Jesus follows, I don't know if you noticed this, he follows the life of Israel. Remember, they're in Egypt and then they go through the Red Sea and they go into 40 days, 40 years in the wilderness and they go into the promised land. That's really what Jesus is doing. He's retracing that story. Why? Because he is the fulfillment. He's the hope. He's the light. And so go back to Simeon, this guy who's been waiting and waiting and we're gonna kind of land at why he was waiting and how that applies to us. But he looks at Jesus and finally he says, I see it. I see it. You know, we don't see it in the same way sometimes. One day we will, right? Because in Advent, we're living between the first coming, the second. One day we'll see it and say, okay, I kind of see why these things happened, why those struggles happened. And as Paul says, our light and momentary afflictions are preparing. This is 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 17. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Same language that far awaits them all. And Simeon is waiting and we're waiting and we have the privilege of looking back and saying God was faithful, right? We can look at his first coming and say God was faithful, but how do we see that faithfulness and live today in times like this where we see ro- wars and hardships and maybe there's division in my family and maybe there's strife that I can't seem to solve and hardship and pain and God, where are you? Well, I think that's where Simeon's life is actually also light and glory. That in this very dark time, Simeon was an anchor. We need Simeons in our lives. They're not very exciting. They're not sexy. I'm sorry. Simeons are not sexy. Annas are not sexy. If your name's Anna or Simeon, I'm sorry. But they're faithful. And there's something about them that is incredibly beautiful, rich, deep, and attractive. And, and what is it? What, what set them apart? Because... Uh, Luke says, this is a guy who's devout and righteous. And so when I read that, I go, well, that precludes me, right? You read that and you're like, okay, um, I can't be Simeon. What does it mean to be devout and righteous? It doesn't mean that Simeon had it all together, guys, because there's nobody in the Bible that does, right? It's not like Simeon just had everything working and he was just killing life. No, Simeon was normal. He was an average man with struggles and difficulties, but he, his hope was Where? It wasn't in his circumstances. It wasn't in what was going on. He said, God, I can't figure it out, but I'm hoping, I'm trusting in you. And I wanna be obedient to what you've called me to do. I'm gonna keep showing up. I'm gonna keep trusting you. I'm gonna keep following you. And here's what directed his life. This is so beautiful. Look at verse 26 and seven. And this is where we're gonna land. And it had been revealed to him, notice in verse 26, by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That sounds pretty special. I don't know how that worked, it just did. Somehow he knew, I'm gonna see the Messiah. And how did that happen in some sense? Well, verse 27, and it says, and he came in the spirit into the temple. I wonder if when Simeon woke up that day, he's like, I'm not going. Wind is blowing, what is it, like 30 degrees out there with the wind maybe 10 degrees. Snowbanks are, kids are screaming. There's no way I'm going today. And think of the anxiety. God, you're not meeting my needs right now. My marriage is a mess, finances, whatever's going on. I look at the world and I see the suffering. I'm not, I'm just not going. And then you know what he did? He took those, those are called anxieties, right? Fears. And then he gave them to his hope. God, here's where I am. Have you ever done this? Sometimes you need to take a piece of paper, and this could be your application, and just Can you write down all your junk, your waiting, your years of a thousand years of darkness, your Assyrians, your Babylonians, your Persians? I don't know what they are for you. And you look at them and say, God, this is my darkness. And then on this side, you start writing down your anchors, right? My promises. And what Simeon did is he held up these challenges. God, this is where I am, but shoot, I want to listen to you. I wanna open my ears to hear, and that's what Jesus said a disciple is, right? Someone that listens to his voice. And instead of trusting in what I see, we don't trust in what is seen but what is unseen. Instead of trusting in what I see, I'm gonna anchor my hope in your character and in your goodness. And Father, that's where my peace is gonna come from. And when I don't experience it, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm not gonna give up on it. I need people around me. Sometimes you gotta be my hope and peace. Do you know what I mean? Because sometimes this guy goes off the rails and I need someone to say, hey, Jason, stop looking at that and would you just look at Jesus? Would you remind yourself of his faith? He loves you, he's with you. Have you had people in your life that would say that to you? And how does that all work? It's by in those moments in time just being open to God's voice. And and that doesn't mean suppressing, right? God doesn't want us to suppress our anger, or frustration. He wants us to bring it to him into his presence, say, God, would you teach me? Would you show me? And then, Lord, would you help me to walk in the truth of who you are? And that's what we're supposed to be as a church. And you know, when we do that, even in really dark times, when we love people and forgive people, when they don't deserve to be forgiven, but we didn't either, you know what that reveals? At King Supers, at Safeway. Why would you do that? That's light, isn't it? Why would we forgive? Why, why would I be generous with my gifts this time of the year towards the poor? And the, It's glory. That Jesus is light and glory, and through faith in him, we're reconciled to the Father, and then we get to live a life like Simeon, right? Of life, of light, and glory as we trust in him. And that's how God wants to bring light into darkness. Not just by wiping away. One day that's coming, right? Okay, I can't wait, but right now it's you. And we're looking around, everybody. We should be looking at each other. We have the presence of Jesus within us, and we have the privilege when we're following him to bring that same light to others in the world and bring glory to God as we simply listen to the Spirit and be obedient to him. That's our peace. It brings wholeness to us, and it brings wholeness to others. Hey, this morning, if you, you didn't grab the communion elements, we're going we're gonna to end by celebrating communion, and so please, if you want to get up and grab those, it's, it's, it's okay. A lot of us didn't grab them. I always forget when I come in, and I'm up front. And I forgot to grab the communion elements. So, so please get up and grab them. And We want to hold those elements in our hand. And this is an opportunity, again, to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. Oh, hey, and Kent's helping me out. See, and that's fellowship. There you go. It's all right there. <coughs> and it's a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. And so in this time, um, let's just hold these elements which represents the broken body of Jesus and his shed blood, which was poured out for our forgiveness and our reconciliation with God. And, And would you just honestly bring to God in this season what's on your heart? The burdens, the difficulties, the waiting. And then would you have the courage at some point this week to invite others into that? Not to walk alone, but as you follow Jesus, to follow follow Jesus with those like Simeon, Anna, and those who are around us. So let's spend that time reflecting on these elements. Father, this world it often tells us to be strong, to solve the problems, to be the answer. And yet you are the one who is strong. So I can acknowledge that I'm limited. And so often I'm weak. And I don't have what I need. To even bring peace into my house at times or in my neighborhood or in our country or in in the world where there is suffering. And so, where we are weak, Jesus, you are strong. So, would our weakness meet your strength in worship and adoration as the Holy Spirit indwells us? We'd recognize that we have the privilege of listening to you, hearing your voice, Father, getting into your word, being in community so that we might bring that light of Jesus to a world that is hurting and broken and in darkness. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, he gave thanks and he said, take and eat for this is my body which is broken for you. Do this and Same way, after supper, Jesus took a cup. He said, "This cup it represents the new covenant that is now established in my blood. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he so return.